0: This week's scripture reading is again from Paul's letter to the Romans. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. But associate with the lowly do not claim to be wiser than you are do not repay anyone evil for evil but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all if it is possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all beloved never avenge yourselves but leave room for the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I have always been kind of a nerd. Hopefully many of you are laughing now. (laughs) I started messing with computers very young. My grandfather built computers in his retirement and I had a computer in the house from around the age of five. I was in the gifted and talented program in school. I started programming computers when I was nine. I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was 11. I went to Renaissance festivals and read fantasy novels and science fiction. Lord of the Rings and Dune and Neuromancer. I was a trekker in the true meaning of the word, a member of the International Star Trek fan club. I went to all kinds of conventions. I met all kinds of people. I was an anime fan before anime was a thing in the U.S. I am quite a nerd. And when I was a child, I was often kind of quiet and introverted. Not all the time. Sometimes I was very outgoing and, and I acted very outgoing and very full of energy. But inside, really, I was f- afraid of people. I had a hard time making friends. I was never quite masculine enough, never quite manly enough. I was bullied in elementary school and middle school for being different, for being nerdy. Here I am in high school <laughs> after I won a programming competition. I did have one area where I excelled though all through childhood. I was a member of the Boy Scouts, the Boy Scouts of America. I started in the second grade as a Cub Scout and I worked all the way up through weeblows into Boy Scouts. I obtained the Order of the Arrow, the Brotherhood of the Order of the Arrow. I made it all the way to Life Scout, and I was two merit badges short of my Eagle (laughs) when I finally turned 18 and uh, was no longer eligible to finish my Eagle badge. The pinnacle of my scouting career was a trip to Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico on the New Mexico-Colorado border where I hiked for 90 miles with only a backpack and the food we could carry and the stuff we could carry, a group of eight of us, through the mountains, starting at about 6,000 feet and going up to 12,000 and back down. It was a great adventure. Boys' Scouts is always a great adventure. But although I felt loved there and I felt included and I felt like one of the boys, and I didn't feel ostracized and I didn't feel bullied, especially as I grow older and I took on different leadership roles. I discovered later in life that that had been a source for me for a kind of toxic masculinity, a kind of toxic understanding of what it meant to be a man, to be a human being in my society. I saw there many things that later would concern me. That when I later as an adult ran my own scouting group, I looked back on and thought, what were we doing and why? And why was nobody stopping us or telling us to stop? Why were they letting us behave that way? I was part of a large Boy Scout troop. We had about a hundred scouts. Now, when I first started, this troop was about a dozen. And my group was coming in, brought another dozen. And about a dozen joined every year after that until we had about 100 scouts. And we had about, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and 18 adults. And on any given camp out, there would be 60 scouts and a dozen adults on the, on the camp out. And we would do all kinds of amazing things because there were so many of us. We could... Build trails for miles. We could do campouts in places that, that smaller troops couldn't afford to go to. Uh, it didn't hurt that most of the scout leaders in my troop were quite well off. The troop was hosted by a, a Methodist church near my home, uh, literally across the highway on the, on the good side, on the rich side of the highway, if you will, a very well-off Methodist church. And I remember we had one Jewish boy in the group who was a member of a local synagogue and I believe one Catholic boy in the in the in the group and the rest were ostensibly members of the Methodist church I think and the pastor was a was a scout leader in the group too the, the Methodist pastor but what I realized later was how much us-versus-them mentality I learned in the Boy Scouts. You know, we had a Jewish boy and we had a Catholic boy, and we certainly had atheists because I was not raised religious. I was not a Christian at this point. But every Sunday we had a service, a Christian service on Sunday morning before we came back from the camp. out. We camped. We camped once a month, so once a month, we would go out for the weekend, and on Sunday morning, before we packed up to head back in, we would have a church service, uh, a very Methodist church service, (laughs) run by the pastor, who was one of the adults, and I remember being very uncomfortable in those services, because it was not my community. I felt out of place. I felt strange not knowing what to say and what to do. So I know that others must have felt that way too. And later on, I learned, of course, that some of the boys in the the troop were gay. And yet we made all kinds of homophobic remarks. We said all kinds of horrible things. But that was just normal. And as someone who was bullied extensively, Uh, in school, in elementary and middle school. To be in a group of boys and just be included and not be bullied, to be successful, to be able to keep up, to be seen as a leader, I just wanted to fit in. So I didn't really push back against any of the negative things that I saw. I tried my best not to do them, because even then I saw that they were wrong, but, but I still made jokes. I still tried to fit in and yet it was myself that i was causing problems with you know i i couldn't be who i really was i couldn't be myself in that group i always had to have a mask on and likewise this was my biggest introduction to christianity really my family was catholic my extended family but we never went to church my parents were not religious this Boy Scout troop was really my uh, introduction to Christianity, to mainstream Christianity. And what I learned, sort of indirectly, was this us versus them mentality. Oh, are you the right kind of Christian? Are you the wrong kind of Christian? Are you gay? Are you a sinner? You know, all of these things. Are you baptized? Are you not baptized? I think that my understanding of what it meant to be a Christian in the world was kind of warped by this experience and um, for a long time these kind of examples and the examples that I got from the media and from the vision of Christianity that is often portrayed by the kind of protesting and um, toxic Christianity that we often see in the world. I had this warped idea of what it meant to be a Christian in the world. I thought it was about saving souls and convincing people they were wrong and chastising people who were going to hell. And so I really didn't want any part of it for a long time until I found much later in life a Christianity that was more in line with really the teachings of Jesus and with my own ideas of what it meant to be a good person. Paul had a similar problem, you know, uh, dealing with the church in Rome. So we mentioned this last week, but for those of you who weren't here, just to kind of give some background again, this letter that we read in our our reading was written by Paul to the churches in Rome. Now, uh, it was written in the late 50s uh, Paul, Paul went to Rome around 60 AD, but before this, uh, there had been no um, no apostles in Rome. So there were lots of churches uh, in the area, but, but Rome was kind of the farthest away. And all of the churches, the churches in, in Ephesus and in in Corinth, Antioch, Jerusalem, they had all been started originally by uh, the apostles, by the, the direct Kind of followers of Jesus who uh, either knew Jesus directly or were, were uh, had learned from someone who knew Jesus directly, and this is where we get, of course, you know, you might recognize these names. We get Corinth and, and Ephesus, and we get the Corinthians um, uh, and the other the other letters like our two these other, these other churches. So the uh, the Christians in Rome had learned Christianity from visiting these other churches that had brought it back with them, had started house churches in Rome, but there was no leadership there. And so Paul was planning, because he he thought of himself as the the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish population, to the Romans and the Greeks. He was planning to go to Rome. And so he sent this letter in advance, and he tried to lay out in it uh, the idea of what what it meant to be a Christian and what the what the Christian gospel story was, because again, this this letter was written well before uh, the four books that we call the Gospels. They were probably written fifty to one hundred years later. So these are actually these letters are actually the earliest uh, writings in the New Testament. So what did he say? So I'm, let's take a look at the, at the text again. This time we're going to look at a slightly different translation. This is from the the um, Uh, a a much more literal uh, Bible translation, the Lexham uh, English Bible. So uh, this is what it says. Love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Be attached to what is good. Being devoted to one another in brotherly love, esteeming one another more highly in honor, not lagging in diligence, being enthusiastic in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, enduring in affliction, being devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, pursuing hospitality. So in this section, he's telling the church what love, Christian love should look like. It must be without hypocrisy. It must abhor what is evil. It must be attached to what is good. And it must constantly being, these are active verbs, being devoted to one another. And the love must be esteeming of one another more highly in honor. And it must not be lagging in diligence and it must be enthusiastic in spirit and it must serve the Lord and it must rejoice in hope, enduring in affliction and being devoted to prayer and contributing to the needs of the saints and pursuing hospitality. These uh, these two, I'm sorry, contributing to the needs of the saints and pursuing hospitality are especially interesting because contributing to the needs of the saints here uh, referred to the fact that Paul and his contemporaries um, often relied on on the uh, hospitality of the churches to to feed them and house them and and, um, and pay for their daily needs and that's what that means and then um, pursuing hospitality meant specifically uh, accepting strangers into your home if if you if they needed some place to stay which was very dangerous um, I mean, it's dangerous today of course but it was also dangerous in Roman times he continues bless those who persecute bless and do not curse them rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep think the same thing towards one another do not think ar- arrogantly but associate with the lowly do not be wise in your own sight so in other words um bless those who persecute you this is pretty direct Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Well, that's pretty easy. But Paul here is not talking about just the people that you know well, your family. He's also talking about those who persecute you. Think the same thing towards one another. This is meaning within the church. Do not think arrogantly, but associate with the lowly. So don't think too much of yourself. And do not be wise in your own sight. Again, don't think too much of yourself, but be humble. Pay back no one evil for evil. Take thought for what is good in the sight of all people. If it is possible on your part, be at peace with all people. This section is, uh, well, pay back no evil for evil is pretty straightforward. But the other part about take thought for what is good in the sight of all people is talking about living harmoniously with those around you, those who are not in the church, those who who do not agree with you in your beliefs. You should still live harmoniously, as, as harmoniously as possible. If it's possible on your part, in other words, if you have control over it, you should try to live peacefully with other people. Do not take revenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap up coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Treat those who are even your enemy as the beloved of God. Feed them and, and if they're hungry, and give them something to drink if they're thirsty. This, by the way, the reason it's in quotes here is because this is actually from um, uh, Proverbs. This is from the Old Testament, a direct quote. So where did, where did Paul get these ideas? Again, this book was supposed to be a description for the Romans of the gospel message. Well, we can see these exact same things echoed in the words of Jesus in the Gospels, which of course were written afterwards, but surely Paul knew these stories uh, because it was an oral tradition at the time. First, let's take a look in the Gospel according to Matthew. So Matthew was uh, a Gospel written with the... uh, The target audience of the Gospel was Jewish Christians, those who were living... um, those who, were, who had, had been part of the Jewish faith and had now converted to Christianity um, or uh, to this new religion, those followers of Jesus. So here Jesus says, uh, and this is, uh, by the way, uh, a section of the text often called the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. So here Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your father is in heaven because he causes his son the sun of the sky to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not the tax collectors also do the same and if you greet only your brothers what are you doing that is remarkable do not the gentiles also do the same therefore you be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, the audience here is is uh, the Jewish Christians. So, the tax collectors were considered to be very bad, uh, very kind of low life people to the Jews at this time because they were uh, they were Jewish themselves, but they were working with the occupying Roman government uh, to collect taxes. And again, they the Jews uh, often consider themselves kind of above the non-Jewish people because of the law and all of that. And so, this is why he also points out the Gentiles. There's another section of Matthew that is kind of related to this. Uh, it's often called the greatest commandment. Now, when the Pharisees heard, the Pharisees are um, religious officials of the time, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, another religious group, they assembled at the same place where he had previously silenced the Sadducees. And one of them, a legal expert, put a question to him to test him according to the law, right? The, the Jewish law. Teacher which commandment is greatest in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now in Luke, we have a very similar story. So Luke is targeted, instead of being targeted to the Jewish population, Luke is really targeted more to the Gentile population, to the Greek and Romans um, who had converted to the church. And this is also the the people to whom Paul is really speaking. So this is uh, the Sermon on the Mount, although in Luke it's often called the Sermon on the Plain, but it's the same, it's, it's, it's talking about the same event. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic also. In other words, even if they take your cloak away from you, just give them your tunic too. Like, just give them whatever whatever they need. Give to everyone who asks you. And from the one who takes away your things, do not ask for them back. And just as you want people to do to you, Do the same to them. And if you love those who love you, what kind of credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what kind of credit is that to you? Even the sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive back, what kind of credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners so that they may get back an equal amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting back nothing and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked be merciful just as your father is merciful here you can see how this mirrors what we saw in matthew now there's another section in luke that again talks about the greatest commandment again the same interaction we saw in Matthew. And behold, a certain legal expert stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do so that I will inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the, uh, the expert, answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God from all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the expert, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers, who both stripped him and beat him. After inflicting blows on him, they went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by coincidence, a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. And in the same way, also a Levite, when he came down to the place and saw him, passed by on the opposite side. And this is important because a Levite was uh, from the, the family of Levi, who were the, the, people, the only people who were allowed to, to worship in the, the holiest of holies, the, the most inner part of the temple. So they were especially holy people. But a certain Samaritan who was traveling came up to him and when he saw him had compassion. This is important because the Samaritans were a neighboring country, Samaria, and they they had been in arguments with Judea for a long time and they both worshiped God but in different ways. And uh, for the the contemporaries of Jesus, the Samaritan was a horrible person. He, The Samaritan was the other. The Samaritan was the, the person that would be um, outcast, that would be pushed aside, that would not be trusted. And the Samaritan came up and bandaged his wounds, pouring an, on olive oil and wine, and he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii And gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend in addition to this, I will repay you when I return. Which of these do you suppose became a neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? And the expert said, The one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So, what Paul is trying to get across to the Romans is the same thing that what Jesus asks us to do in these verses and in what Paul asks us to do in Romans is perhaps the most difficult thing that is asked of us as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, which is to love not only our friends and to love not only our family, but to love those people who persecute us and to love those people whom we hate and to love our enemies. To love the people who hate us, I guess, and to love our enemies. Uh, it's difficult. It's really, really hard. It's not something that comes naturally to anybody. And it's not something that came naturally in the society in which Jesus and Paul and, and uh, their contemporaries lived. It was a countercultural thing. It was different from what the society told them to do. The society told them to seek out their own interests to take revenge, to, you know, to to sue, to, you know, to to always look for gain, monetary gain. And Jesus said, no, none of that is important. You should love those who hate you. Uh, Feed them and give them water if they're thirsty. Break down this us versus them and realize that we are just us. And as universalists, this is something that is really important to us. We believe that everybody will be saved, that nobody will be tormented forever. I think part of the reason why I had such a bad experience was because the youth that I was, uh, that I was interacting with had this idea of us versus them, even in their church. And this can be a this can be really, difficult, really difficult thing for us to do, to treat everyone as the beloved of God. I think a really good example of this um, happened in 1996. There was a, uh, a protest. The, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, said they were going to march in this town. And I, I apologize, I don't remember what town it is. And a bunch of counter-protesters showed up to stop them from marching. And as the counter-protesters were milling around and waiting for people to show up, somebody yelled that there was a KKK member in the, in the crowd. And this man who was wearing a Confederate flag on his T-shirt uh, started getting beaten up. He tried to run, and he got beaten up by people. They were hitting him with their, with their signs and things. And this woman, Keisha Thomas, who was just 18 years old at the time, threw herself down on top of him to protect him from the, from the protesters. And this photograph was taken by Mark Brenner, a, uh, a journalist, and the the picture ended up uh, going viral for going viral in the '90s. Anyway, men being seen all over the place and becoming kind of this this uh, ideal of what it meant to put yourself uh, in the way to protect somebody who hates you, somebody who um, who is your enemy, but to still treat them as a beloved of God. Um, now it turns out this man was not actually in the KKK, which makes it especially helpful that she protected him. But, but that's not the point. The point is that <laughs> this is, uh, this is how we are called to act. So, what would it mean? What would it actually mean to say that you are loved, that you are a beloved child of God, and that everyone you interact with is a beloved child of God? How would that change your daily life? How would that change your interaction with one another? How do you show other people, not through your words, not through your beliefs, not through images on social media, but through your actions, how do you show other people what it means to be a Christian, to be a universalist? How do we live this most difficult of commandments to love those who hate us and to love those who are enemies? despite that, to love them as children of God. This is my question to you this week to ponder until we are together again. How can you embrace this teaching in some small way in your life? How can you help to break down the us versus them? How can you help to show others the way that Christians should behave in life?